0: Coming to you from the Philadelphia area, this is the Westchester Church Podcast. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. westchestercfc.com. I just woke up happy this morning. Just happy to be alive happy at the realization that this morning, while news anchors report bad news and depressing news and sad news, that I have a privilege and a blessing to broadcast good news to us. And I've got some good news for us this morning. Romans chapter 1 is going to be our message this morning and our text. Romans chapter 1, Paul, of course, in his letter to the church assembled in the city of Rome. He's writing to them and he's encouraging them in a time in history when it was not a fashionable thing to be a believer of Jesus. Romans chapter 1 and beginning of verse 13, what Paul says is, I do not want you to be unaware, my brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I have been prevented from doing so in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first. And also to the Greek. It is the Greek word episkunomai. And what episkunomai means is to be disgraced. It means that you are being blinded in the spotlight of shame. It means that you are a person who has a reluctancy to either say something or to do something out of fear from potential embarrassment that that thing or that person might bring to you. It means that you feel so utterly ashamed at the thought of existence that you your only wish is to disappear and to never be seen or ever heard from again. And we all know what it means to be ashamed. We all know what that feels like. Sometimes being ashamed comes to us as individuals. I was looking at my iPod just the other day. And all of these songs that I have accumulated through the years, it's just amazing how many of them, if you have an iPod over, you know, 9 or 10 or 12 years, just how many songs you begin to accrue. And I'm going through my, my iPod. I've got Otis Redding on there. I've got Marvin Gaye. I've got all of these greats, right? And yet then I begin marveling at these other songs that somehow have made their way onto my iPod. I don't know how they ever made their way onto it, but there they were. And I was looking at this one song from the 1990s, and it's a song called, I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. It's fantastic, come and be a Barbie girl with me. And I'm thinking, how did this get on my iPod? I mean, when was this? I mean, I I was absolutely disgraced by this. It's like, I did not put this on my iPod, or did I? I I never listened to this song. I never liked this song. But lo and behold, here it is on my iPod. And I was so utterly disgraced by this that I just erased it off of my iPod and out of my life forever. Because that's what you do when you are, are ashamed of something. You remove yourself from it. You divorce yourself from it forever. Sometimes being ashamed comes to us as individuals. Sometimes it is a relative of ours. And I'm just assuming, but I think just about all of us has at least one member of our families who's just a little bit out there. You know what I mean when I say that? And by what I just explained a moment ago, in my family, I'm probably it. I mean, he's got Barbie girl in his iPod, but you know, but... Long time ago... We had a relative in my family. He's no longer with us. We'll just call him Uncle Ned. And I think we all have an Uncle Ned in our own families. Maybe an Aunt Esther maybe or something like that. Aunt Karen maybe. But Well, my great Uncle Ned, as he was in my situation, he was a postal worker. He, he would deliver mail every day for, for his living. But my Uncle Ned, though, was a pathological liar. I remember once when we were all together as a family, he was just casually sharing with us that, yeah, last night I got a call from President Clinton, and he's calling me from Washington, and he's flying me in on Air Force One first thing tomorrow, he's got a special mission for me. We're all looking at each other like, okay, And then before we even knew it he's going on and on about a speech that he gave to Congress and about how now he is a spy who's working in Russia and Japan and you know whenever we would be with uncle ned we would always not want to be seen with him in public we were always very nervous any time any outsiders who we happened to know came into the fray of our family circle and he began telling stories of this magnitude <laughs> And it brought us a great deal of shame and and embarrassment as a result of that. Sometimes it's us, sometimes it's relatives, and then sometimes it's seeing the the great misfortune of other people. Not long ago, Amanda and I were had been watching a show about this young woman about 23 years old, and she weighed six hundred and eighty pounds. She was so unhealthy that she couldn't even make her way down the the stairs in her house. She had to slide down all of the stairs there into the ground floor. And as she reached the bottom of the stairs, she just erupted in tears. Like, why can't I just be like everybody else? Why do I have to be this out of shape and this out of control with my health? Well, what most of the episode had been about is, is her flying cross-country to Houston for a bariatric operation. And she gets out of her mom and dad's car. Her dad puts her in a wheelchair, but, but as soon as she sits down, she breaks the wheelchair. She, and you know, she just hangs her head in shame, like, here we go again. Her mom and dad don't know what to do because she can't just walk to her gate. She has to be wheeled there somehow And all that the airport had to offer was for her dad to haul her around the whole entire airport on a luggage cart. And so now here is her dad lugging her and wheeling her, transporting her around this airport terminal on a luggage cart. And as you might imagine, heads are spinning, necks are snapping, looking at her, laughing at her, snapping pictures of her, recording her as... Her father had done this and as you might imagine this experience from her perspective and in her very uncomfortable skin she felt like she was being blinded in the spotlight of shame as she felt every single every single time that she left the house she felt as if she was the main event at one never-ending freak show where she is just absolutely mortified to exist, and she's so embarrassed at the thought of existing that her only wish was to simply vanish and disappear and to never be seen or ever heard from again. And yet, though, having said all of this, the reason why the Apostle Paul is writing all of this to the Christ followers in the city of Rome, the reason why these words echo and reverberate to us here this morning it's because we live in a world that wants to make us feel ashamed to wear the name of Jesus. We're living in a world who wants us to see Jesus Christ, not as the King of kings, but as the kook of kooks. Who wants us to regard the words of Christ, not as the words of life, not as a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path, but, but rather as the crazed, delusional, fairy tale manifestos of a raging lunatic. Mark chapter 3, Jesus is standing amidst a crowd of people, and, and he's helping them. They're all flocking to hear what he has to say. They, they are hanging on Jesus' every word. There are many sick people who are coming to him who, who believe that he can make them well. And yet, ironically, it's Jesus' own uncle's, It's Jesus' aunts, perhaps. It's Jesus' cousins and relatives who are making their way through this crowd and they're getting close to Jesus now. And that's because it would appear as if for a very long time they've been having conversations about Jesus behind closed doors. I mean, can you believe Yeshua? You know, Joshua in the Hebrew, Jesus. I mean, the guy quits his job. He's been living out there in the wilderness, in the desert, hanging around with with all of these fishermen and tax collectors. And he's claiming that he's the king of kings and that he's the Messiah. And he's bringing shame upon our family, so we need to put all of this to an end right now. This, This ends right now. And so it says in Mark chapter 3 and verse 21 that when his family heard it, they went out to lay hold of Jesus because they were saying... He's lost his mind. John writes in his gospel that even Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him at first at least. And so what the sentiment was in Jesus' own family is that Jesus, you were bringing shame and disgrace upon your family name. You need to accept reality. You are not the Messiah, Jesus. You're not the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are just a carpenter. You're just our relative, so just stop all of this for crying out loud. And I mean, that was just his family, by the way. And you know, it is such a, a disorienting irony. In fact, it is the most disorienting irony of them all that the grand majority of this people view Jesus in this shameful and disgraceful way and that world who views him so, so shamefully just happens to be the religious world. It was true then and is true still in the world of today. I mean, other than Jesus, nobody knew more about the Scriptures than the scribes, the elders, and the Pharisees. And out of all the people in Israel, nobody had antagonized, resisted, slandered, or treated Jesus more maliciously than the ultra-right, conservative, religious community. And as I graduated at a seminary in 2007, it would have been the most dirtiest, most disgraceful seeker that anybody had ever told me. If a person had approached me and whispered in my ear, hey listen, in just a few years... You're going to be preaching at a church. It's going to be called the Church of Christ and all of that, but these people are going to be ashamed that you are their minister. They're going to be absolutely ashamed that they ever even met you. They're going to mock you and try to destroy you. They're going to run you out of town, and they're going to resist what you are going to be a proclaimer of in that church. And the very things that they will be getting so ashamed about, the things that they will be getting so enraged towards you about, and what they will be resisting will be the core elementary teachings of Jesus Christ on the Sermon on the Mount. That is what they are going to be treating you that way as a result of. You're going to teach Jesus' Sermon on the Mount unfiltered, unvarnished, And they're going to want to destroy you because of it. And I think our struggle is, in the present times, is that we we are living in a religious environment as as a country, I would say, where a large demographic of religious Christians are simply too offended at the thought of a dark-skinned Jewish Messiah who spent three years as a homeless man who would touch lepers and who came to the rescue of adulteresses caught in the very act. As a nation, as a religious climate, I think that we would much rather prefer and much rather pretend that Jesus had said, blessed are the aggressive. How blessed are those who are ultra-judgmental of other people, who are, who are dismissive of minorities, rather than G- Jesus saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Blessed are the gentle, blessed are the merciful, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I think we all have some form of resistance, some form of potential being ashamed of Jesus or the word of God in our lives. But whether it is Jesus himself who we are ashamed of, or it's his poverty or it's his words that we are recoiling towards, whether it is the counterculture lifestyle of love and of gentleness that he invites us to and summons us to, to embody. Whether we are ashamed how Jesus loves the very people who we despise. Or we try to reinvent Jesus to match our own individual image. Regardless of the reason why we have shame or, or mortification or, or embarrassment of the historical Jesus, come these sobering words from Luke chapter 9. As Jesus says, that whoever would save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake, they are going to find it. And then Jesus says, forever who is ashamed of me? Whoever is episcunamide of me and of my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed of him. Of such people the Son of Man will be episcunamide of you, he says. And I can just say it so many times over, how how the tragic reality is, is that the majority of people are simply too ashamed to be rescued and to worship the unvarnished Jesus, of the first century. And yet the even more tragic reality is, as I said just a moment ago, many of those people who are too ashamed of Jesus spend their lifetime sitting in pews, gathering in cathedrals that say Baptist Church and Methodist Church and Lutheran Church, and yes, even churches that say Churches of Christ on them. And yet now as Paul is writing his letter to the Jesus people of Rome, we need to understand that he is writing this as public enemy number one of the religious and of the non-religious world. I mean, they tried to humiliate Paul away from being a Christian. They threw him in jail countless times over trying to destroy his reputation, trying to coax him into shame. And to destroy his name and his family's good name. They beat him and stoned him and persecuted him. They ostracized him, trying to bring him disgrace. They did everything that they could in order to make him and the early church say, okay, enough is enough. No more of this Jesus stuff. They wanted them to feel so utterly ashamed to exist that they, they would just hide their own faces. And never let their voices be heard for the remainder of their lives. And yet, the good news is for us, and this beautiful example that we have from the Apostle Paul is that Paul refused to be ashamed. He never, ever, ever gave in to all of the pressure to be ashamed. And they are some of the most powerful words in all of history, let alone the Scriptures. These are words that should burn in every single soul this morning in all the days of our life as the Apostle Paul says, for I am not ashamed. I am not embarrassed. I am not mortified by the gospel of Jesus Christ. They can throw me into prison. They can stone me an inch away from my life. They can blind me in the spotlight of shame, but I will never renounce my dependency and my salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we saw in verses 13 and 14 of Romans 1 in our text, Paul had a desire to go to Rome. I mean, Paul wanted to go to Rome more than anything in the world. Well, well, one day Paul would get his wish. And the grand and the great irony is is that Rome would just so happen to be where they had beheaded Paul as a result of just how unashamed he was to believe in Jesus. And yet his attitude was, is that, you know what, my my mind was already made up on the road to Damascus. And if you want to behead me here, I will get here for you. I will make it easier for you. I'm going to paradise. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I believe. I can't prove it. I don't know it, but... I believe that his dying words were I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You see his dying wish and his dying attitude was is that I am not mortified of God's love story for an unlovable humanity. I'm not humiliated by a God who loves us so much that he left heaven in order to undergo that humiliating, naked, ghastly death of a criminal's execution on a cross. Paul says that I am not ashamed of the gospel, and here's why. He says because it is the power of God to salvation for everybody who believes. Yes, he says there, there had been a time when, when it originated with, with the Hebrew people. These are the people who Jesus came from. It's the people who had the temple and the Ark of the Covenant and, and all of that for, for all of those generations. And yet we should be rejoicing this morning because the good news just keeps getting better and better for us where, where he says, but, but it is also for the Greek. It's also for all of those barbarians out there. And I mean, I, I am a barbarian. I am a Greek, in other words, a non-Jewish person. So you see, what Paul is saying is that I'm not ashamed of the love story of Jesus because it is God's power to salvation for every single person who will believe it. I mean, the power of God created a universe. God's power rained down fire upon the altar as Elijah called for it. God's power made the earth quake and tremble. God's power brought Jesus Christ's lifeless body up and back from the dead. And yet nowhere is the power of God more fiercely evident than in that moment where we heard the gospel for the very first time and it burned within our hearts. And we arrived at the realization that no matter who I am and no matter all of the horrible despicable unspeakable things that I've done in my lifetime because of Jesus and his cross now sin is forgiven sin is washed away and so what this means is that I'm going to be rescued tonight God is going to write my name in heaven before I go to sleep tonight and whenever I leave this earth whenever it is and however I go I'm going to spend eternity in his paradise And yet, you know, if I had to choose what is the most remarkable wonder of all of the gospel, it would be these words out of Hebrews chapter 2 and starting in verse 9. As a Hebrew writer speaks about Christ, this is what he says where he says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because. Of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everybody. And when that says everybody, that means everybody. See, this is good news because Jesus died for you and he died for me. He died for Donald Trump and he died for Joe Biden and he loves us all with an equal love. And now in his great love, he is calling us to love all of humanity, no matter who it is, to look at them and to feel a love for them in our souls, just as he does. As it continues in verse 10 of Hebrews 2, it says, For it was fitting that he for whom and and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering." For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. And then I especially want us to hear these precious words. Where the Hebrew writer says, and that is why he is not ashamed. He is not embarrassed. He is not mortified to call us his brothers and his sisters. Hebrews 11 and verse 16 in the context of of Abraham and Moses and Noah and and all of the giants of the faith. And yet I believe also speaking about anybody who will believe in him the way that, that they had believed in his powers. It says, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. And I mean I don't know for God who knows every act that we've ever done who knows every unspeakable sin that we have ever committed that we would never want each other to ever know that we've done for God who knows every single last thought that we have ever entertained in our minds both good as well as dark and sinister I mean we would expect God to recoil and to wince at our very faces From all of the embarrassing, humiliating ways that that we have brought disgrace upon His name out there in the world. And yet instead, He unabashedly loves you and He unabashedly loves me. God claims us as His sons and as His daughters. And He parades us about in this world as we awkwardly stumble and, and slowly but surely mature in His likeness. Just as a father pushes his 680-pound daughter through the, the airport, all these people are trying to humiliate her, snapping photos of her, laughing at her, whispering about her, pointing in her direction. God's like, it's all good, I'm with them. This is my daughter. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I am making all things new in their life. That is my boy. That is my girl right there. Well, five years ago, a man and I were at a restaurant. And it was at, the, at a time in my life when my speech deformity was at its very worst. And it's a very long, crowded restaurant, very long line. And everybody's expecting you to just get your order out in like three seconds and get on to the next person. And I had so much anxiety as I tried to speak that I opened up my mouth and no words came out. And I spent 45 seconds, maybe an hour or a minute straight, just just silently twitching and convulsing, trying to get words out of my mouth, but I just couldn't get them out of my mouth, so I just reach and and I just write it down and I, I just hand it to the cashier. And I just slowly look up. And I'm not exaggerating, every single person in that restaurant was staring at me, smirking at me, whispering about me, laughing at me. And yet that is except for just one individual. Now, a lot of people would expect that as I looked up and I saw the face of my wife, many people would have expected there to be nothing but shame, And humiliation about how much I just embarrassed her in front of all of these people. And yet I look up and I see my wife swooning at me. I mean, swooning, swooning at me. I mean, there was nothing but love in Amanda's eyes as she stood there next to me. It was just the kind of look that said, I love you so much. I'm so glad that we get to spend our lives together. And I'm not ashamed to be your wife. I'm not humiliated, are you? I'm not ashamed to be seen with you and to spend my lifetime with you. And that is the gospel of Jesus. That is the love of God. That is a God who is unashamed to be seen with us. And yet the question is, God is not ashamed when we love Him and when we believe in Him, when we have faith in His name, but but are we ashamed of Jesus? Do we view Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords over our life, or do we view Jesus as our crazy Uncle Ned, who we would never in our wildest dreams mention in front of other people who aren't Christians? Are we ashamed of bringing His love and His energy into family gatherings and into our our work environments, onto our social media activity? Or like Paul, are we simply too astonished, standing at the foot of the cross, that we could never in a million years succumb to embarrassed, apprehensive, disgraceful Christianity? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation to every single person on the face of this earth who will believe in him. May our words and may our conversations in the days ahead proclaim this louder than I just did into this microphone.